Welcome back to the AnyGamers podcast. This is episode 28, part B of the podcast, so if you don't want to be terribly confused, I'd suggest that you listen to the first half of this episode, which is called episode 28A, and which introduces our discussion of the Astro Boy story, The Greatest Robot on Earth. On that note, if you'd like to go back and listen to episode 28A or any other episodes of the AnyGamers podcast, visit podcast.anygamers.com for episode lists and information about subscribing. Enjoy the show. Yeah, we actually haven't talked about Pluto a ton, and Pluto is also, I think, pretty important to the story. Well, obviously he is, but I mean, his character, analyzing his character is uh, a pretty, is I think just as important as analyzing Astro's in this case. So Pluto has a, a relationship, it, you know, it's kind of, it's friends, but it can be extrapolated to be a more like romantic kind of thing between him and Uran, Astro's sister. And it, I think that's, it introduces a very interesting uh, paradox, kind of like a, a military paradox of a, obey your orders or obey what you think is right. And, and when those two conflict, it makes a very interesting choice. And so Pluto's friends with Uran, but by destroying Astro, he would take Astro away from Uran. And I, I think it's also interesting to talk about in Pluto how this, it's not as, not as emphasized it's very much in the background. It's mentioned once and kind of put away and Uran and Pluto really only meet once and it's not even face to face, at least up until, you know, in the, up until, uh, volume seven, I don't know what happens in volume eight yet, but, uh, what do you guys think about that, that whole relationship and the, the, uh, dynamic of it? You know, and it's always been an odd dynamic for me because the, the first story moves so fast Mm. Um, I, I don't see where the attraction comes in. I mean, it's kind of like he meets her. She insults him mercilessly. <laughs> and he's, and it, I don't, I, I guess he just likes, he likes spunky women. And so, he's like, <laughs> uh, you know, this girl's got moxie and I, I kind of like that. Um, and, and it's interesting because in the 1980s version, it's, it's, it's even actually a little bit more pronounced because, She's she insults him. He insults her back. She insults him again, and then they they laugh. Oh yeah, and, and they laugh, and they're kind of like friends. And I'm like, wow, that is the oddest conversation I've ever seen. Yeah, and uh, it's a, like an abusive relationship too, because they laugh, and then he says, <laughs> "Shut up," and then shocks her, just like in the manga. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, it is it is an odd story, their relationship, and I actually do actually kind of like. Urasawa's take on it in Pluto, where she's um, giving her the ability to be much more emotionally sensitive, mm. and in that sense, so it helps kind of flesh that out a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, it makes for great drama, and so um, you know, it's I'm happy that Tenma puts it in there. I mean, uh, Tezuka puts it in there, but uh, it always just it always was a little odd to me. Um, and as it, it, what's interesting is is Uron's relationship to Astro um, 
because in the in the uh, in the manga version, she's very ashamed of Astro for not fighting. Yeah, and that and that's that's her reason for dressing up like him, and then and then trying to take on Pluto herself is like uh, essentially rescuing Astro's honor. Whereas like in the nineteen eighties version, uh, Astro simply isn't home, and so she decides, well, <laughs> yeah. if Astro's not here, I'll do it for him. Uh, so it's it, you know she it's an interesting that. Um, in the original manga, they always have kind of a, a great older brother, younger sister relationship where they fight. They, they tend to fight a lot. And Pluto does that wonderfully. Yeah. Like they seem so organic as brother and sister in a lot of those scenes where they're kind of bickering and Astro's telling her, you should go to school. Why are you off skipping class, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, well, and she comes across as more three-dimensional in, the, in Pluto, too, where um, she, you know, has her own kind of personal vision of uh, and and the fact that she's so empathetic to other creatures gives her this this huge shift in the way she looks at the world and and so it's yeah their their scenes are just are gorgeous and in fact um, i said in one of my reviews that uh, uh i would love for urasawa to do a follow-up where he does like a one or two um book series that's just uron stories because she really oh, wow. she mm-hmm. really deserves to have her own spotlight for for a couple books. Yeah, there's one. There's that one chapter after Astro is uh, essentially deactivated by Pluto, where she just runs around helping person after person, and you know doesn't even give herself enough time to get thanks from each person. Yeah, yeah, that and which is which is a which is a beautiful example of you know how much she loves Astro Boy, how deeply she's affected by um, by him being put into a coma, and she doesn't know how to deal with that. Um, and again, that comes you know out of um, out of out of Tezuka's original manga, because as as much as they bicker, there is a real love and a mutual respect between the two of them that Tezuka always keeps. So even when like because in more than one story, she runs off and does some, just does something completely impulsive, and Astra has to go rescue her. Um, but even when he like chides her a little bit uh at you know at the end of the story they've they've kind of come back to that equilibrium in their relationship so yeah it's never astro boy you know he never gets to get the upper hand on her in in any of the versions which is which i enjoy i i really agree with you ed i i in the in urasawa's version in pluto i love the way he made her this gave her this special power to detect suffering in the world it was something almost buddhist about it so it, it elevated her character i thought to a, to a whole new level in the storyline yeah and i and and uh, that's what i say i mean when you see Uron brought to her full potential like that uh, that's why i'm like oh you can't leave her like this you well, you know we need to see her in her own series, at least for a couple of books, um, because it just seems a shame to have done so much work on this character to, you know, to let her kind of be a, um, to let her just have these few little moments in an eight volume series. Yeah. I actually saw, um, I met Urasawa in December and I of course would love to see him do other Astro Boy episodes because he yeah. did, did such a fabulous <laughs> job of taking this one episode out of the original 1964, 65 
manga series and just creating this what I think is just fabulous you know reinterpretation for adults and I, 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 I frankly I would be happy if he'd spend the rest of his life doing that with other Astro Boy episodes because <laughs> I'm a big Astro Boy fan but I asked him about this and uh, it, it didn't sound like he he had any plans to go back to the Astro Boy story again what was interesting to me was that he did say that he would love it if he could finish uh, the Phoenix. Um, oh, yeah. But, but, and I thought, wow, that, that would be something else. You know, I, I don't know if that would ever happen, but he just expressed an, an interest in doing something like that. But he didn't mention doing another an, another interpretation of an Astro Boy episode, which I thought was a little disappointing, frankly, because he did such a great job with this one one episode. I just no. want him to keep drawing Astro flying. Because those <laughs> those scenes in Pluto are really awesome, but it's like two pages of it, really. But they were they were just like his scenes of things flying are actually really great. They're just the trails of smoke and stuff like that, and at, the scenes of Astro flying are just they're great. They're such a like refined modern version of uh, of Tezuka's own scenes of him. Yeah, he's a fabulous artist for our era too. I think he's just uh, a wonderful artist. Yeah, yeah, and I agree um, that the last page of Volume One, where you actually see Astro Boy, uh, yeah, just, it, it, that that totally floored me. I was like, um, particularly yeah. because you know, knowing the original story and and knowing how badly Astro gets beat up a couple of times, I'm like, I, I'm not emotionally prepared for, for right. this for this version of Astro Boy to get beat because um, he he looks like such a realistic child. He he does, and and. I just remember staring at that picture, you know, for three or four minutes, just going, "Wow, this is, this is just so different, but it it fits so perfectly." Um, yeah, it, and it's a great <laughs> it's a great way to cliff end a book because you, because you see the picture of Astro Boy and you go, "No, no, no, that that can't be the last page." Yeah, he, so. he does that a couple times, not just in, in the uh, end of books, but in the end of chapters. He introduces uh, Higi Oyaji at the end of a chapter, and you're like, oh, snap, there he is. He's the principal of the school. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he, yeah, he, is, uh, he does a brilliant job of, of really serializing the story so that as soon as you finish one chapter, you immediately want to leap into the next. I mean, you, you just don't want to stop reading. In fact, uh once volume eight comes out, I'll, I know I actually will go back and reread the entire series from beginning to end, just over a weekend so that I can get it all in, in one big chunk. Cause it's been torturous reading it only once every three months. <laughs> <laughs> actually, when, when, um, my friend Jared and I, Jared Cook and I translated, um, um Pluto, I w- really wanted them to use Astro instead of Atom, uh, but on the Japan side, they were quite adamant about using Atom, and in retrospect... They were, they I think, were adamant about it, maybe? Yeah, adamant, yeah, mm-hmm. in, in retrospect, I think they probably were right, and it it actually makes <clears throat> the story work a little better, because people don't, they don't associate it so directly with with the original. Right, it makes him a slight, it makes him an interpretation of Astro, rather than exactly the same character yeah well for american audiences i think exactly it, it actually works and of course in japan people yeah. s- see Atomun and, and they think 
the same character as the animation and the manga. They don't have that that differentiation in Japan that we do here, where the character is known as Astro Boy, but his real name is in Japan is Atomu or Adam. In Pluto, I actually uh, I want to talk about Pluto himself. Is he's portrayed very very differently because he's not he's not given a kind of he's not given a face a, a more human face. I, obviously, he's a robot, but in in Tezuka's version, he's very much a character and he has this personality and that that introduces that you know the thing with Uran and that that whole conflict of of morals inside of him and he doesn't really i i think it i found it disappointing but maybe it's just because it was uh letting down my my expectations that he that you don't really get to see pluto interact except i guess in the final volume which i again haven't read but uh he doesn't really get to interact very much with or at all with astro he uh he interacts with with uran uh in a kind of indirect form through essentially possessing a robot's body. But he doesn't get that... Like, the the scene where Astro saves him in the original manga is very, very important, I think. But it doesn't happen, at least not in as far as I've read in the manga. Uh, I think we have to be careful here to make sure that, you know, your audience knows that we're talking about Urasawa's version of Pluto as opposed to the original uh, episode in the Astro Boy series. Uh, in the Pluto version, I kind of like the fact that Urasawa makes Pluto also this sort of mysterious figure yeah. as well. And it, it, it really takes a long time to sort of figure out what Pluto is. Whereas in, yeah. the, in the original Tezuka manga, of course, it, since it's designed mainly for nine, ten-year-old boys, it's it's really kind of a skeleton that we're given. And, and Tezuka has always got this kind of slight tongue-in-cheek and slight serious and slight moralistic and slightly not-so and slightly self-destructive approach that he, he manages to balance throughout the story, which is perfect for nine, ten-year-olds. And, and then in Urasawa's version, I think he does just a fabulous job of, of appealing to an adult sensibility and making everything not so clear, uh, more serious, um, but very vague and very very nuanced and very shaded, all, yeah. and and always adhering to that because you never all the characters in in, in Urasawa's version of Pluto are, are are very realistic characters. I think you you you're not sure exactly where they are. At least I wasn't. Mm-hmm. No, no, I yeah I agree. He he's definitely bringing a lot more nuance to it. Um, it his with with Urasawa, not seeing Pluto. Uh, on one level is really frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but on another level, it it just adds so much drama to the series. Well, I don't that... think I don't think the series would work if he if he had used Tezuka's approach of making right. uh, Pluto this, you know, very visible uh, of uh, showing uh, him in the first panel. Strong man, uh, robot. It, it it just wouldn't have worked. No, I agree. And but that what I was saying it adds so much drama and then when you finally do see him, which I th- is I think it's volume f- either the end of volume four or maybe somewhere in volume five. I think it's in volume six because I just oh. read it recently. It's very late when you actually yeah. see his body for the first time, and it's very striking. I mean, it just mm. it just hits you is is like this blunt force when you finally get to see it because 
he has done such a great job of kind of playing with your your fears and your imagination that um, you don't know what's going to show up, and and even uh, even though he sticks a little bit to the original Tezua design, he he just he adds a grimness to it that that works really well. And he also has a, almost a supernatural aspect to him, which I think is works really well for an adult audience too. Right, right, yeah. No, I agree. Yeah, you you could almost believe that he's a computer virus for about half of this series. <laughs> like if you hadn't read the the Tezuka version, you know, which in our case we're re- we're reading through it expecting to see a robot with horns. But for I, I know I talked to somebody actually who hadn't read the original, and they said, "I'm not even sure Pluto could probably be a computer virus." And I was like, "Oh wow," because I I hadn't read up to that point yet in the series, and I didn't realize it was that vague, that far in. <laughs> But yeah, I, I I think people who who read Pluto and they don't go back and read the original Astro Boy series, they they're really missing a lot of fun because it's Definitely. so much it's so much fun to compare the original story with the new interpretation of it. Yeah, true. And it's it, what's interesting is when I went back and reread um, Volume Three of, the, of, of Dark Horses Astro Boy was to realize how many of the moments. Urasawa had had put into his interpretation that yeah it's 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 it really is a lot more faithful than than you initially think it is because I'm I'm I was reading it going oh yeah that's in the, and that's in there I was like oh yeah, man tiny it's, little visual cues like yeah. when Epsilon crouches down like and, and huddles over one of the children like that right. that really struck me because it was even placed in a different scene but when I saw it you know he's in the high grass crouching down over this kid. I was like, "That's that scene. That's that's his death scene in the original manga." Right, and and again, it's the the idea of those hands protecting the the child. Yeah, um, which I was like, "Wow, I forgot that was in the original story. That's incredible." So, oh wow, you know, I didn't even remember that. Now that I I gotta flip through that, he actually his hands are the only thing left in the original. Yeah, if I remember correctly, that's that's what he that's all that's left in the original. Yeah. Um, oh wow, that is such a great touch. I didn't yeah, catch that's, that. And that's what I was, yeah, I mean it's like, wow, even he even did this little scene. I was like, wow, that is phenomenal. So it, it is fun to read them back to back. I think it is also like you said or you implied it, it's also after you read Pluto and then you go back and you read that episode in the Astro Boy series, you can see that even though Tezuka was targeting nine, ten-year-old boys, and he had to create this story that was entertaining, and it had to be a little bit didactic and a little bit humorous and a little bit corny and all these things. Nonetheless, all those very serious issues and all those very serious themes, those mini-themes, are in the original, the corny original as well as in, in Pluto. And that's the thing that I find so amazing about the original manga, is that when you strip away the fact that he was... Creating that Tezuka was creating for nine, ten-year-olds, and for this market that demanded, you know, entertainment and a certain amount of action and so forth and so on. That he was also able to build in or sort of layer in these very sophisticated themes that uh, that Urasawa can deal with much more directly. But they're all there. Oh I, yeah, like the well, the robot civil rights. Well, I, I remember, you know, when I read the Dark Horse series as it was coming out. I was just floored by the the civil rights discussion for robots, the mm. idea of, you know, 
um, what does it mean to be a person, the, the, the concept of um, robots or people, just because they have silicone bodies doesn't make them any less of a, of a being uh, or any less valuable than humans. Um, because my first exposure to those concepts was through Shiro's manga, Ghost in the Shell. And so when I was reading the Astro Boy story, I was like, oh, this is the foundation of it all. This is, this is where it all starts, and this is where all the ideas, you know, kind of inspire everybody else. And so one of the joys of reading the original works of uh, Tezuka, particularly, and I, even, even his early works, is to see how uh, people take his ideas and, and um, uh, develop them or add their own interpretation, and just to see how over time uh, his influence works its way out into these other authors and into the works that they're doing. Oh, and actually, I noticed when I was reading Pluto, there's an interesting... I feel like if I had to describe in in one word the, the worldview kind of of Pluto versus the original, uh, the original Astro Boy story, and even just versus Astro Boy in general, Pluto is is internal while Astro Boy is, is external in a certain way. Like Pluto is very much about the memories and the regrets of the, of the characters, especially the robots and this, this concept of their memory being different from the way humans handle memory. Uh, and Tezuka's stories, uh, there, there is definitely an internal aspect to the greatest robot on earth, but a lot of his stories are about like greater conflicts about this external thing of humans and humans versus robots and, you know, essentially that there should not be a versus between them, that they should coexist. So I found that interesting. It was like there, there's Tezuka is looking at the greater picture and Urasawa is looking inside the characters, both of which are valid ways of looking yeah. at them. Well, to- totally different audiences. So I think the audience determines to a certain extent the way you handle the story and the characters. Maybe it would be interesting to see if, if Tezuka were still around, if he were to go back and reinterpret uh, the Astro Boy series, the original manga series for adults, mm. uh, what he would do. Mm. <laughs> I think he would, mm. be, he would have been really happy with what Urasawa did in, in Pluto, frankly, but it's impossible yeah. to know at this point. Right. <laughs> True. And, and, and when you look at um, uh, Tenma's adult works like uh, Adolf and some others, um, particularly the stuff that Vertical is putting out. Uh, I mean, you can see that he had the ability to write those uh, wonderful adult stories with all the nuances that he couldn't put into something like uh, an Astro Boy or a Princess Knight because he was writing for for such a young audience. Um, but, none so, of, yeah, I mean, but nonetheless, he was able to write stories about uh, Astro Boy going to Vietnam and yeah. smashing oh, yeah. smashing American uh, uh, B-52s and whatnot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is an amazing story. <laughs> I think I have that one, but I have I'm missing. I have the second half of that. I haven't read it yet because I'm missing uh, the first half. But I understand that's a really good one. That's the time travel chapter, right? Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, it's uh, that's actually one of my favorite aspects is how Astro Boy ends up getting to be in time ends up being a circular character because I don't know if you've if you've read this story. He ends up going back in time because of the um the the princess he meets from another planet and he's trying to help her and I, I it takes place after the Vietnam story but he eventually runs out of out of power 
And of course, the technology doesn't exist to recharge him. <laughs> so, um, but what's interesting is, so his body sits there, and then you get up to the time where he's about, where uh, Tenma is about to, you know, create Astro Boy, and she, um, she ends up having to destroy that version of him because she says you can't have two Astro Boys. Oh wow! And, and she says, so your soul can only live in one body, and it's time for your soul to go to. Um, to where it belongs. Interesting, because he's a robot. Yeah. Yeah. So it's so you get this, um, which I thought was again I thought was very kind of Buddhist. This kind of interesting, almost wheel of reincarnation in, 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 into the Astro Boy story. So yeah, he he, you know the 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 more you play with with um, uh, Tezuka's original work, the the more you can see how much he was really doing in the background. Uh, and it's really easy. I think, unfortunately for Americans to overlook all the themes and all the subtle messages, because, you know, I, I know a lot of people who just find the art too cute to take seriously. And I, and I keep telling them, yeah, you know, I understand that critique, but give the stories some time. Um, you know, you know, read a couple volumes. You're going to see there's a lot going on that it's easy to miss if you're not if you're not paying attention to what he's doing in the stories. Yeah, I usually say you should read it first like as if you were an 8-year-old, like try to put yourself in the mindset of a kid who's like, "Wow, robot fights." And then go back and reread it because I find that they're often much better on a second read through after you've kind of experienced the very superficial aspects of just, you know, enjoying it as a piece of entertainment. And you go in and, and you can really start to read it again as an adult and see all the things going on underneath. I think that's one of the problems, actually, with the later animation, because so much of that stuff drops out, especially in the 2003 series. It, uh, it loses a lot of that. Yeah, no, I agree. I, the 2003 series is, is very, very black and white. Um, uh, and And there's no subtlety in the storytelling. I mean... You you start out with Pluto as just this very angry, very aggressive robot, and then he makes this kind of huge character change once he meets Euron. Um, so it it yeah, it's a shame because um, you know when I'm watching it, I, I keep the only thing I could think when, when I was watching the 2003 series was this really isn't very isn't very faithful to the original series either in message or in characterization. It's very, it's very frustrating in a way to watch it. It is, because if, if you don't have any exposure to Astro Boy, the 2003 might be a good way to introduce somebody, because it is the animation is more conducive to what a modern audience expects. But I think if, if your first exposure to Astro Boy is the 2003, and then you go and you pick up the Dark Horse mangas, you're really going to be shocked. I just, yeah. And, and hopefully you'll, the 2003 version hasn't like, so set you to, to think of it as kind of this one dimensional story uh, that you'll be able to, to read the, the original dark horse stuff and, and approach, appreciate the subtleties in it. All right. We're running low on time. I want to get to one last point of, of difference between the, uh, the versions 
Uh, and that's in the, the ending, the whole thing with Dr. Abla or Abra or whatever version you're watching, uh, the Sultan and, and Goji, who are all like kind of, they, they're all the people behind the, uh, behind Pluto, behind the Sultan commissioned him, doc, Dr. Abla created him and Goji is Dr. Abla, but like in a, you know, with a different mask on pretty much. Uh, and and of course there is Bora, who's the final robot that uh, that Pluto and Astro both face off against. And I thought I think it's really interesting that Bora, like nobody can decide on what Bora looks like. No, I, I totally agree. I, I was really shocked when when I got to that point in the nineteen eighties anime, I went, Holy cow. Yeah. That's and, <laughs> I was like, It's totally know, up, different. It is. I was like, up to this point you've been pretty faithful, but Wow, this this character design comes out of nowhere. But admittedly, Tezuka's is very, very plain. I'm not sure if he was trying to go for something with that. I didn't really pick up any, any more significant meaning to that because it hits, it really is just like the Michelin Man. Yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> well, and, and and it's interesting in the 2003 version that uh, yeah, the Bora is essentially a duplicate of Pluto. Yeah, his um, name but, is Asheron, but he's essentially just Bora renamed and redesigned. Yeah. yeah, and to look just like Pluto, and then he's like, well, he's, but he's without a heart. and <laughs> Very blunt of that 2003 <laughs> show to be like, yeah, the weakness is emotion. <laughs> so, yeah, it was it was really odd. And, and, uh, and well, and, of course, when we talk about, like, the, the reasons, because in, in the 2003, you get this whole... Um, I created them both to evolve Astro Boy, and 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 even at the end when Shadow, the um, the robot that Tenma creates to create Pluto, uh, says at the end he says I'll create even greater robots to further Astro Boy's evolution, and and I was just like what? what? Yeah, it's completely <laughs> different. It's a different story. Uh, yeah, yeah, it really is. I mean, I, the because it, it's interesting in. Um, in a, in the in both the the manga and the and the nineteen eighties version, yeah, the the robot that creates Pluto vows never to create another robot. So right, and uh, he did it all to teach the Sultan a lesson in both of those versions, which is a little odd. I always found that odd that he destroyed like he destroyed uh, six of the most powerful robots and the most beloved robots in the world to teach the Sultan a lesson, but it. It eventually ends up serving the purpose of, of Tezuka being able to say at the end, the big question of this whole story, or one, obviously there's a bunch of questions, but one of the big questions at the end is why? Why did this all happen? Why did these robots have to be destroyed? And, and I think Tezuka leaves that question open in, uh, in the original. In, in the 2003, it's a, you know, they make up a reason, but I, I, I very much like that Tezuka, he asks why you know why did humans create temporary life and then destroy it well that's uh, kind of a sort of a sub theme of the whole astro boy series is this, this sort of tragedy of, of robots in a way yeah i mean i agree with you it's, it is an odd way to teach just one person a lesson is to destroy like um these incredible robots uh particularly mont blanc always was very is always tragic in any version Mm. because because he's this he's this um forest i mean forester robot who's out there 
He's like a tour guide. (laughs) Yeah, well, and he's in Switzerland, and he's one with nature, and he doesn't even see it coming. He just he he, the poor guy (laughs) just he just gets destroyed like instantly. Yeah, he's like, hey man, what are you doing? And then Pluto kills him. Yeah, he doesn't even really get to try out his powers very much. Yeah, no, not at all. And and you know, I you know you in in one level, you know, you answer the story of like what you know. Who created the robots and why do we what why do we do this um but uh it just feels like what an extravagant way to teach um a very petty man a lesson yeah i feel um, like that might have been part of what tezuka was doing though the goal yeah. is at the end to make you feel unsatisfied to make you feel like really that's all it was for that all these these robots died for absolutely nothing no i i mean i agree with you it it's it's uh i mean he, it it's great that he asked those questions that um that kind of that idea of you know we're morally responsible for what we make yeah and even for for the things made by what we make because in that case it's a robot that builds robots that destroys robots yeah and and that and and it's interesting because you um as, as we pointed out at the beginning you know this is written in the 60s in the middle of the 60s when people really aren't thinking that far in advance yeah about, that's second degree robot building you know this, this idea of well um you're not just responsible for the car but you're responsible for the pollution that the car creates and for the effect that the, that the pollution has on the environment i mean you, you almost can see that kind of level of thinking whereas you know people huh. are just like build me a bigger car and uh, you know uh, you know i want i want my chrysler to have you know tail fins that are 15 feet high and I don't care if it only gets one mile to the gallon. It's got to have, you know, it's got to be really big, and it's got to be able to sit thirty people. And I want to, <laughs> you know, I want to have all these luxuries in it. Uh, and yet, ten months, you know, is is thinking a little bit further ahead and saying, you know, when we build something, we're not just responsible for it, but we're responsible for its actions. And we, you know, we need to to be a little bit more forward thinking we need to project ourselves a little bit f- further into the the consequences of what we're doing uh so which you know for a children's story is is a pretty amazing lesson um that that uh, i'm not even sure the adults would have gotten when they were reading it for the first time um but for those of us on the other side of things like global warming or the cold war um that kind of look at the consequences, not just of your immediate actions, but of the actions that were a result of your immediate actions, and and see how this all is in a chain, and how we have to take responsibility for that whole chain of consequences. Um, so that's it's that's pretty amazing. Yeah, I find that that's one of the most remarkable things about the Astro Boy manga, the original manga series, is that Tezuka had such a far-ranging vision so early on and not just the series that eventually became not just the episode that eventually became Pluto but for example like in Red Cat the episode about the need to preserve nature and ecology Mm -hmm. and whatnot and and Tezuka was at least 20 or 30 years ahead of many of his contemporaries on a lot of these issues and you can see how he's working off of things that he's observing 
such as pollution and destruction of the natural environment, and also the civil rights issues that were raging at the time, and, and of course war and things like that. Uh, he was way, way ahead of uh, a lot of his contemporaries. Ed, I think that thing you said about the, you know, being aware of the repercussions of your actions is, uh, it, it's interesting, I didn't even realize how uh, Urasawa indirectly brings that into Pluto because he's not he's not talking about you know the the making a robot that makes a robot that destroys other robots things he he's talking about people's actions in that war like the Persian war and and in throughout Pluto the the concept of that whole thing is that all these things these people did three years ago are affecting and and killing off these robots in the present so it's all about it's all about that same thing, taking responsibility for your actions and the the repercussions of your actions and the repercussions of the repercussions, all of the the shock waves caused by even the smallest thing that you do. Well, in a way, you can yeah. you you can see that as sort of a a steady theme of all of Tezuka's work, this sort of cause and effect, um, a, a karmic evolution, yeah. and also right. the need for mindfulness. In a very kind of Buddhist way, is a very, very philosophical subtext throughout all, all of his work in that way. Well, and and as we mentioned, um, Phoenix and Phoenix really brings that out a lot because he's got that huge scope of history that he's playing with. So, um, you know, he can write a story that takes place in, you know, four thousand BC, and then write a story that takes place in in uh, four thousand AD. And you and and link the consequences between the two stories through Phoenix, and you're like, well, "Wow, wait a minute!" I have to think about that. Too. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he he does, and uh, you know, part of that is he does a beautiful job of kind of the universality of human nature, um, both you know, not only um, you know across nations, but even temporally, the fact that. You know, what we struggle with in the 21st century are the issues that people struggled with in the 15th century or issues that the people struggle with in the 5th century. This the this kind of temporal arrogance that we have as a species that somehow, you know, us in the 21st century are, are more evolved or higher thinkers, that we've solved some of the problems of our ancestors or that we've risen above them. Um, Tezua doesn't let us have that illusion. You know, he really strips that away, particularly in Phoenix, to say humans are humans are humans, and the uh, it's not by ignoring the past that we're going to deal with these problems. It's by acknowledging our continuity to the past and learning from those from our ancestors, and then taking those lessons and applying them in the right way to our our own lives, and then passing those lessons down on to our children and our grandchildren. Well, that's awfully well said, Ed. I like the uh, expression, yeah, temporal, <laughs> ar- temporal arrogance. Yeah, uh, that's, uh, I, no, I like the way you said that. That's uh, actually very, very well stated. Oh, well, thank you. Thanks. I think that's a, a good place to end, actually, because we, I think we've run a little long. Uh, so, do you guys have any, uh, any final thoughts? Would you be able to pick a favorite story? Or, I, I don't think I can, but would either, do either of you have a favorite of any of these? Of the uh, adaptations of the the greatest robot in the world, the greatest robot. Well, in the world. of the adaptations, I, I'd say hands down, it's uh, uh, oh. Urasawa's Pluto. 
to me. No, and I agree with that. Um, but yeah, there is a, a just a deep spot in my heart for the original story too. Yeah, I, I think it's hard to. That's what I meant. Like, I would pick Pluto as my favorite adaptation, but it is hard to compare that to the original and try to decide which one is better. Uh, True. Yeah, because you can. Because I don't think you can. I don't think Pluto is anywhere near as enjoyable without the original. I think it. It's definitely very good, but what makes it so great for me, and I think for you guys too, is is reading it with the knowledge of the. Uh, of the original because it informs all of the the things the characters do so much. I, I, I agree completely. And uh, I always try to encourage people if they like um, Pluto to go back and read the original because I think without doing so, they're really missing a lot, a lot of fun. No, I, I agree. Yeah. I, I encourage people to always go back and read the, um, the original Astro Boy um, manga because it's just, it's it's so well written, um, and it is so um, ahead of its time that uh, that that I'm I'm really happy to see Urasawa taking just one story and showing people all the wonderful complexities that are you know contained or um, um, what do you want to say in, inherent that maybe have not been manifest. And, and so to to give people an appreciation for the kind of storyteller that uh, that Tenma was, I mean that that Tezua was. I'm sorry, that Tezua was, <laughs> because uh, because because he was particularly for Astro Boy because he was writing for such a young audience, he couldn't um, make manifest uh, everything in in a way that uh, later writers in their works could go ahead and do. Um, when they were writing for a much older audience, so yeah, um, Urasawa has has just done a great service to the um, to uh, Astro Boy and to Tezuka, and then hopefully the uh, the popularity and the critical acclaim of Pluto is gonna is going to help people come back and and reread and um, finally appreciate appropriately uh, Tezuka's original works. I think that's a a good final message to leave on it that uh, if you have not read any versions of this story, we would recommend you read the original and uh, certainly Pluto and any of the other ones are also good. But the, the big thing to do is don't read Pluto without reading the original because they're, they inform each other in really interesting ways. Double your uh, fun. Yes. Double the fun <laughs> or quintuple the fun. If you watch all of them. So, <laughs> Just uh, before we get out of here, would you guys like to promote any things you're doing, uh, you know, blogs you're writing for, etc., books you're translating? Oh, yeah. Um, just uh, can read my reviews on um, mangaworthreading.com and uh, comicsworthreading.com. And then uh, follow me on Twitter. It's Ed Sizemore, all one word, because uh, we have a lot of great discussions about uh, manga and anime um and uh, <laughs> and and currently um love to debate uh, moe to no extent oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah um just those three uh is a, is a chance to um uh, to have an opportunity to to uh, see what i'm doing and then 
Uh, always, I uh, encourage comments, criticisms, uh, snide remarks on my reviews <laughs> or on Twitter because um, I, I just I love getting into conversations. How about you, Fred? Uh, I have no current projects that I can publicly promote. Uh, I'd, like to, <laughs> I'd like to encourage everybody to read uh, uh, Ed's writings because I think he, he, he really can summarize things in a wonderful way. And if people are interested in the writing I've done or my books, um, my website, I have as much information as possible. It's jai2.com, jai2.com. All right. Uh, I am, as I said, the or I don't, I don't know if I actually mentioned it. Anyway, I am uh, the editor-in-chief at anigamers.com, the website that hosts this podcast. You can go there to find news, reviews, and more about anime, manga, and video games. And we are actually running Tezuka Month right now. It's a theme month for March, and uh, this is should be up during the month. That's the goal, <laughs> depending on how fast I can edit it. Uh, so you can go there and check out all all the uh, reviews and such things that we write. Highly recommended. Oh, thank you. Yes, <laughs> uh, yes and go win some free books. Yeah, really. People got to win Otakiri Hito. I, I don't know. This will probably be out after that contest unless I have to extend it. So other things on Anigamers uh, actually related to me, you can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash V-A-M-P-T-V-O. And you can follow Anigamers at twitter.com slash Anigamers, A-N-I Gamers. No uh, dash in the middle. So... The other things is um, you can check out the podcast, more information on it, at podcast.anigamers.com. That'll have feed information, blog posts, and comments. And please comment. We'd love to know what you think. Uh, related to that, you can send us an email at podcast.anigamers.com to let us know pretty much anything about the podcast or just tell us how your day's going, whatever. Uh, and you should also go to iTunes and give us five stars because we really like getting five-star reviews. Uh, if you hate us, then just don't give us a review. That'd be nice. <laughs> uh, that's about it. Uh, thank you guys very much for coming on the show. It was a great discussion. Well, thank you. It was an honor. Thank you. It was an honor to be on it. That's it. All right, what's up, guys? You stayed to the end, which means this is now the Cool Kid Club. You want to know about the Blackjack Contest? I'll tell you about the Blackjack Contest. I've got four copies of Volume 10 of the manga to give away courtesy of Vertical Inc., and I don't have enough entries yet. So just send us an email or leave a comment on the post telling us some sort of topic you want us to talk about on the podcast, and you'll have a chance to win. As I said last episode, it could be any kind of discussion topic that you want us to talk about, anime, manga, video game, whatever you want. You've got until Sunday, April 25th at midnight to enter. Good luck.